Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to an Offscript Christmas special and the 21st episode of the series so far. Thank you so much for the millions of people who have tuned in to watch and listen this year. For our final episode of 2021, I'm joined by Father Marcus Walker, the rector of St Bartholomew the Great's church in central London, to discuss Christmas in the age of coronavirus, and whether Britain is still a Christian country. For my first question, I asked whether Christmas can survive in the age of COVID-19. Oh, well, of course Christmas can survive. I mean, I suppose the only way the answer to that would be no would be if we all don't survive. In years to come, I think we're all looking forward to families being able to get back together, to be able to celebrate with huge carol services and everything being wonderful again. This year it might be different, but that's a different thing. Well, this is the interesting thing because surely for many years we've gone and seen our grandparents at Christmas and probably spread all sorts of diseases and the flu and things. And that can't have probably helped various people who may have even died as a result of that. But it's not really in the back of your mind when you're going to Christmas. However, obviously in the last two years, this has been a very, very you know, huge problem for people. And as people were sort of deciding whether to go back to home this Christmas, deciding whether to see their, their elderly relatives, this will be a huge problem for them. So what, what's your advice to people who, who are making this decision now? I think I can't really think, give one solid piece of advice. It's going to depend on each person. You could see, for example, how an old couple who want to see their grandchild before, before they die might know that they've got terminal cancer. For them, seeing the grandchild might be the real overriding priority. For another, there'd be a real concern that, a, you know, the same grandchild coming back over Christmas might actually wind up killing them. Each family, each person has to make the right decision as they see it, according to the various different elements that are going to, that are going to affect them. Christmas itself was cancelled last year by Boris Johnson. Obviously, some people ignored the rules or some people lived with their family. I think it depends where you were. Absolutely. There were different and tier systems. That's right. And, and, but, but for in millions, London, it was yeah. pretty but, much cancelled. 
But for millions of people, Christmas yeah. was cancelled, and many people spent Christmas at home. Many people spent it alone, even, which is must have been absolutely devastating for people. Can you describe the impact that that had on people at the time? I mean, what was your experience of Christmas last year? My experience of Christmas was that I couldn't go home to see my parents. Uh, my dad had just got out of hospital, but he was not. He and my mum couldn't see me. They weren't vaccinated. I wasn't. Well, we were all in London, so I stayed at home. I would normally go there after the main Christmas service. Many other people weren't able to do that. I know from talking to my congregation, it was a very, very, very lonely time. On a normal Christmas day, at the main services at Midnight Mass, at Christmas Day, we've got a really funny thing being a central London church. The church is completely full, but it's full of people we don't recognise. Because loads of people have left London, the people who normally come here, whereas London's then got filled up by people who come and visited their parents or their children, whatever else. So we've got a full church, but full of people we don't recognise. Last year was different. It was full of people we did recognise. People were here. Christmas, of course, wasn't cancelled in a different way. And that's also quite important to say. Actually, we had more people coming through our doors than we have done in previous years because we extended the number of services we were doing. So we sort of had two midnight masses and two main choral Christmas days. And with reduced numbers, we could normally fit about 600 people in, but we actually put it right down. But actually having more and more, four services rather than two, more people came along. So in that way, the marking of the birth of the Saviour, Christmas wasn't cancelled and can't be cancelled. But for the family relations, for the, the seeing people you love, for the, you know, the classic Christmas gathered round the table with the fire and the turkey and the everything else. For most people, that was cancelled. Why is Christmas still relevant in 2021? And you, I mean, you can talk about the pandemic in itself. That's been an absolute devastation for many people. And you describe there uh, the impact of that on people's Christmas holidays. But just more generally, I suppose, even before the pandemic, why, why is Christmas still a relevant holiday? I suppose Christmas is uniquely about something that everybody has some experience of. The fact that God became a human being, became a man, was born as a baby, just like everybody else has been, born in a family, albeit, you know, a family with an adopted father and a mother in, you know, in all the complexities of that birth, but nonetheless born into a nuclear family. This speaks to the essential human experience that human beings are born. It speaks of family, of love. It's why people still go home for Christmas. It's why this year, hopefully to a limited extent, last year to a far greater extent, Christmas was cancelled in inverted commas because the deep abiding love that we have for our families, for the people whom we're bound to by love, by blood, that that was that that was cancelled that is always going to be relevant in fact arguably it's more relevant in the 21st century as so many of our other bonds have collapsed those basic human instincts those basic human bonds of the little platoons of the family as burke puts it those are as essential as ever is this one of the the final relics of the past in which people do take time to reflect and do take time to see their family properly. And perhaps it's the only regular time where we're still able to do that in a world 
dominated by so-called social media, which isn't particularly social at all, and where we're all living extremely busy lives that seems more disconnected than ever before. I think to a certain extent that's true. We don't gather around the family table on Sunday, on Sundays for lunch. An awful lot of people don't live near their family. We're a much more mobile culture. We don't have a the kind of culture where when people get old, they move in back with their family, with their children, in the way that a lot of cultures do have. And yet at Christmas, those threads draw people back. Which is also, of course, why Christmas every year is a time of pain and suffering for people who've lost those that they love, for people who are alone. Actually, Christmas can heighten that pain, that reality. And quite often we ignore that. Quite often we forget that. That's also, you know, to a certain extent, we're all suffering what some people suffer every year. To everyone, they'll have their own meaning of Christmas. They'll have their own experiences of Christmas each year. What does it mean to you? How have you experienced Christmas throughout your life? As a priest, as a Christian, the heart of Christmas is the birth of Christ. It's the excitement and, you know, Unlike other seasons of the year, when, you know, with Good Friday, there's, there's, there's quite a dark edge to that. Even with Easter Day, there's the, you know, you've had to go through Good Friday to be able to celebrate Easter. With this, it's a season. It's, it's a time of real excitement and joy. It's the point at which you mark the coming to earth, the coming into humanity of the divine. Something that transforms our entire nature. It transforms the whole way in which we view the world. And every year we're reminded that... God became a human being, which means that all human beings now are lit up with the spark of divinity, which means that every time we look at another human being, we're looking into the face of God. And that is something so wonderful to celebrate. We get all that in the wonderful carols that we sing, in the readings that we have, in the, the sort of the hushed moment when we get to the, the, the reading from John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. For me, the really big thing... And I realise I sound quite sad in saying this, but the really big thing is, going to, is happening in church. It's midnight mass. It's the first time you sing, "Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning," and you know the tingles start start going up the spine. And then that's superannuated afterwards with lunch with the family, and the, which hasn't, which probably won't, well won't happen this year and one didn't happen last year. But you know, where there'd be the annual fight over whether we start eating before the Queen's address or after the Queen's address and we have the and all of that and all that wonderful stuff that is about seeing the people you love and remembering that the, the love that's within a human family with people whom you love with your friends it might be is an echo of the love that comes from above and that's why it's such a wonderful wonderful season. Now I realise I'm speaking to someone who's slightly biased about the subject of Christmas but do you, still, do you think it's still a, Chris, a Christian tradition? Is, it, is Christmas still Christian? Oh, yes. I mean, I think, you know, people often get quite sulky about Christmas. Christians quite often get quite sulky about Christmas. You've got the people who would say, it's not Christmas yet, it's Advent, throughout the whole of the, the period of time running up to Christmas. And yet, all the things we're getting sulky about the carols around us, the tinsel that's gone up, the trees in the squares being lit up and everything like that. All of that thing, what are they celebrating? What are they marking? We're marking the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's 
absolutely wonderful. And, you know, you've got Santa with his sack and his red hat and, you know, wearing all the red that's nicked from Coca-Cola and everything else. But actually, what are we marking? We're marking a saint who did all sorts of things by legend, you know, including dropping coins down a chimney to redeem three girls from slavery, possibly from prostitution. Possibly also a chap who went and thumped the heretic Arius at the Council of Nicaea. You know, an awfully good chap. Yes, it's still a Christian festival. Even if other people have been able to buy into it, and even if other people have put a bit of their own into it too. But at its heart, it's the birth of a baby who transformed the whole world by also being God. I want to talk about some of the traditions you mentioned there. Now, we all know that Prince Albert brought over the Christmas tree to Britain. Mm -hmm. Are there any other foreign traditions that we have in Britain in relation to Christmas? And what are the specifically British traditions that we have here to celebrate the holiday period? I mean, of course, the biggest foreign tradition, you could say, is Christmas itself. We boy born in Bethlehem to a Jewish mother and a divine father. There's, you know, in some ways, there's the classic non-British thing. What is British? What isn't British? I mean, we're a wonderful melange. Traditions have come in. We've had traditions from France that came over with the Normans and traditions from, you know, France that came over in the 19th century. Traditions from German that actually go back to the Saxons and traditions from Germany that came over with Prince Albert. You know, the turkey that's really come over from America. It used to be a goose in England. But that's what makes it fun. It's not a British festival. It's not a French festival. It's not an American festival. It's a universal festival and everybody puts their little spin on it and we nick a bit from there because it works and we drop a bit there because it stopped working. But at heart, it's something that speaks to the reality of the human condition, which is why it's intrinsically going to be international. How has Christmas changed as a tradition throughout modern history? I mean, I'm talking the last 200 years, specifically in Britain. I mean, I would say it's become, you mentioned Prince Albert, You've got a whole load of German things that came over with that, including most especially the the Christmas tree. You've had in recent years the focus on the presents, the focus on Father Christmas. I mean, you know, obviously we all know that Father Christmas is real because if somebody suggests Father Christmas isn't real, parents get very, very, very angry. So nobody would ever do that. But to a rather curious degree... That's now become true. You've got the death of the 12 days of Christmas. I mean, the song about, you know, the 12 days of Christmas barely makes any sense now. Because nobody would know what 12th night is. That's that's dead. But that's the thing. You know, Christmas is one of those things that changes and grows and develops. Are there any traditions that you would like to be brought back that we've lost in time? One of the interesting things is Midnight Mass seems to have shrunk and shrunk. I think that's partially because of opening hours. Previously, people used to tumble straight out of the pub into the church. But now the pub's still going. So that sort of died. And all that wonderful thing, if you can hear all the S's suddenly magnified as people who are, you know, quite drunk by this stage, are merrily singing away. But actually, you know, that was, that, that, that was cracking. That was great. That's a sadness, I think. Anything else? It's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, one can get all sneery about the commercialism of Christmas. And there is, you know, there is something worrying about the amount of money that some people who don't have it spend 
on Christmas and, you know, the feeling that they've got to do that for their child's sake or for keeping up with neighbours or friends. Um, and that's always going to be a worry. We've got to be quite alert to that danger. But at the same time, the giving of gifts is a sign of love. And we shouldn't get sneery about it or dismissive. You know, actually owning the fact that people are giving of what they have, sometimes with very little, in order to show their love for other people, for their children, for their husbands, for their wives, for their parents. Do you think our image of Christmas is shaped by Charles Dickens? Oh, very much. Very much. In a really wonderful way. Uh, in fact, we've got a, a rather fun carol service that we do every year. Um, Dickensian. Most, all of the readings come from different works by Dickens. Um, and the carols are as they were sung in the Victorian era, quite often with different tunes and some different words. And yes, you can really see the shape of the the modern Christmas sort of forming as Dickens is writing it. And and that's, you know, that's been very good. It's slightly healthier than an awful lot of the... Uh, you know, the visions of Christmas that's formed by Hollywood, where, you know, you've got to rescue the true meaning of Christmas, and the true meaning of Christmas turns out to be Santa. Dickens did have a deep understanding, both of the human condition, the human nature, and, and of the divine. On that phrase, the, the true meaning of Christmas, what lessons mm. of Christmas can we, can we apply today? What, what should we be thinking about over the Christmas period? What should we be thinking about over Christmas? I mean, the first thing is love. Christmas is about love, and it's about love that's divine love, about God coming to earth, coming down as a human being, being willing to be born as a human being and all the pain that that involved to his mother, uh, to live and then, ultimate, and then to die, and then, because he reigns again, to transform what it means for us to be human beings. So first of all, there's love. So there's love that comes from the divine, and then from that flowing through us is the love that we have for other people, the love that we have for husband, wife, children, parents, girlfriend, boyfriend, friends. And the, the love that, 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 that flows out of that at Christmas is the most important thing. And actually to think, you know, when we do see the people we don't see that often, why don't we? Actually, is there a little bit of a calling to us that if these are the people we do care about and do love, what do we do for them? And really that, you know, that must have, that, that's come up for so many people during the pandemic of realising how much we miss those whom we love. Um, so that's the that's big thing. Then the other things to bear in mind over Christmas is it's both intrinsically local. You know, it's about as small scale as you can get. A small little baby being born to a small little family in a small little town. But it's also global. The arrival of the three wise men from the east you know that's christ going global but it's also the whole story going global and the question of what's happening in the rest of the world should be on our minds the question of what's happening in the holy land to christians around the middle east you know the huge persecution the eradication of christianity across the middle east is something that should be on our minds at christmas as we think that the places where christ walked and lived and all the lands of the scriptures that Christians are being and have been ethnically cleansed and that we don't care. And the general question for the whole world of how we love one another. What does it mean, you know, the outflowing of love, not just on a small local scale, but on a whole global scale? What does it actually mean to share this world with one another? What does it mean if countries are going to square up 
over the next year and try and invade their neighbours. And what does that mean for us? And what would it mean for our nation? I suppose from the very small right the way up to the global. That's all. Many things to ponder. As well, of course, as in the middle of that. You know, but what's it say in the, the, the bidding prayer at carol services? And, of course, we remember in his name, for this would please his heart, the poor, the hungry and the oppressed, the sick and them that mourn, the lonely. I'm, I'm getting it all jumbled up, but, you know, it's, there are all sorts of people who are finding it difficult this Christmas, and particularly those who have a lot, definitely worth giving thanks for that and then thinking what we can do for those who don't. Well, I think that's far more, uh, more insightful than anything Hollywood could come up with. For many people, Christmas is, you know, there are vague, vague Chris, uh, Christian traditions that they may follow, but they probably don't go to church. They're probably not thinking too much about Jesus Christ. They may just have experienced it as a time of eating with their family and seeing people that they don't usually see, seeing their loved ones, exchanging gifts and things like that. This comes at a time where Christianity and other religions are on a global sort of decline, or at least in Britain they're in a, in a decline over the last 100 years. Do you think Britain still is a Christian country? Well, I mean, first of all, you're right to correct yourself. Christianity not is global. not declined globally. Yeah, that's it's correct. growing globally. It's not doing as well here. It's not, no, no, no denying that. But things ebb and flow over the centuries, but, you know, in the early 19th century, Christianity was very definitely on the way out. Um, Matthew Arnold's poem, Dover Beach, I mean, he saw the end of Christianity happening imminently, and then suddenly it was a great revival that happened through, through the, the middle and end of the 19th century. It lasted right the way through to the 1950s, and then we, we've been on the way down ever since, we've sort of since the 50s, but the only way is up. Well, we could go down a bit further, but at some point we've got to pull out, we've got to come back up. I think this is still a Christian country. At its heart, Christianity underlies almost every aspect of what it means to be British, what it means, you know, all of the traditions we have, all of the ways in which we think, even the things we think are secular, are intrinsically Christian. There's a reason why human rights have developed here in the West, out of Christian thinking, out of medieval Catholic thinking, to start with. There's a reason why so many, so much of the way in which we speak, talk, think, is framed in a Christian context. Now, increasingly people don't know, I suppose, the, the context. They don't know the foundations upon which so much of how we live is have been built and the danger of not knowing what that is means that it will get forgotten ignored or just disregarded without a real appreciation of why these things are important but as things stand yes we're still a christian country it underlines almost everything we do which isn't to say that there aren't wonderful traditions that are coming in and that there aren't wonderful things that have come along with it and that there aren't other elements of our history, such as, you know, great appreciation of the classics in the past that led to an awful lot of how we think. But Christianity is so large in this, context, on, in this context, I think it's impossible at this point to say that we're not, even if an awful lot of people would quite like to push that line.
Why do you think that it has been on this decline in Britain since the 1950s? Oh, well, this is a difficult question. I mean, to a certain extent, if we were actually able to answer that question within, within the church, we'd be in a lot better place in responding to it. A whole host of things have happened since the 50s, really. The first thing, I mean, I would say there's a certain degree to which, as a church, we really need to own up to the fact that we've not, it, we've really not worked out how to talk about Christianity, about God, about Christ, in a way that's credible, in a way that's attractive. We've lost time and again in, I suppose you could say, you know, in, in, in the court of public opinion or in the sort of in public debate. And we've really got to, to be alert to that reality. We've also had a host of changes that have exploded, both within Britain and across the world, of just our understandings of the world and of the, I suppose, of the world and of the, the, the human nature. Meant there's been a- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A real contestation for things that previously were generally sort of thought to be understood and settled. I'd say those two are quite big. The, I think there's also an element that as... We've got to know and understand other cultures. An idea that my culture is definitely right and what, and you know, the religion that comes with it is definitely true has certainly been challenged and it isn't a bad challenge. You know, actually, we should be able to argue and articulate why it is that our faith, that Christianity, Anglican Christianity, um, is, you know, is true for reasons beyond I happen to be born in it. That isn't necessarily a bad challenge, but it's certainly been a real challenge. Has talking about Christianity become a, almost a t- taboo in Britain? I don't think so. Politicians become more, have become a lot more jumpy about it. If you look back, in the 80s, Margaret Thatcher went and addressed the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland in what was known as the um, uh, Sermon on the Mound. And it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, you, can, you, you can still find it online. It's fascinating because it's a politician expressing her theological position and a theological justification for the policy, secular policy she was taking. I don't think any politician, even one who's as profoundly Christian as Theresa May is, would consider doing that now. You've certainly had, you know, do you know what I'm saying about Alistair Campbell saying, you know, we don't do God. But actually, that was to Tony Blair, who really did do God quite a lot. There's a jumpiness about talking about your own faith, quite often, in the political sphere. And there's certainly a jumpiness in the workplace about people manifesting their faith 
particularly when it's Christianity, there is a little element of that. But, broadly speaking, I think you can still talk about Christianity and being Christian. Obviously this year we all had to go through the census and we had to fill out a form asking us about our age and our our name and uh, one of the questions is about your religion. If you had to make a prediction when we find out those that data next year, what would you say will happen to, uh, to Christianity? I have no idea whatsoever. None whatsoever. I, there's one thing I can't do, it's data. Um, I'm not really going to be able to pretend that I'm able to... You know, if I had it in front of me, I wouldn't 100% be able to predict I get the right answer at the bottom, but I certainly wouldn't like to predict numbers I don't have in front of me. Well, let's talk about your own experiences then in your church. How has hmm. attendance been over the last few years? Oh, good, and growing. Yeah, growing, growing quite considerably. Probably you know, quite a few reasons for that. I've certainly found that staying open when we were allowed to stay open meant that, well... People came, and people can, and some people came who hadn't been before and stayed. Certainly had a good number of people, quite often younger people, who came and said things like, I remember interrogating some of them in the pub um, back in that middle period between lockdowns one and two. Of, you know, I saw you from time to time before the pandemic. Why are you coming along all the time now? And they said, well... When you live, sleep, eat, work in the same small room, going to church, suddenly when you've got a big building, you've got live music, you've got other people, you've got other people who are also across a whole age range, suddenly that's important in a way it wasn't perhaps before when you had so many other things to do. We've certainly got a large number of people following us online, although interestingly, I think the online worship is perhaps actually better for those who are older rather than younger. Perhaps people who can't leave their house or, or are now away from a church they love. But um, but that has meant that we now get people coming who followed us online and yet are coming along when they're in London. So that's certainly seen... So, yeah, so we've certainly seen quite a bit of growth and that's been heartening, really quite, really quite heartening. It's going to be impossible to tell from statistics how we're doing as a national church until much later. Last year, all sorts of churches closed at all sorts of times, so, you know, including over times like Christmas. So who knows when everything will kind of be at an, enough of an even keel for people to be able to make an assessment. But from my own personal context, more people have been coming. Let's talk about how the lockdown impacted not only your church, but Christianity in general. I mean, did people start turning to God during this time of hardship, hundreds of thousands of people dying, you know, really stressful time with the lockdowns, businesses closing, people losing their jobs, a very, very difficult time indeed. Probably, you know, the hardest time Britain has been through in a long, a long, long time. How did that impact Christianity? Did people start, as I say, turning to religion? Some did. Some wouldn't have done. I think one of the interesting things is for the first time in a very long time, death is back on the agenda. We haven't really had to talk about death in a big way, not since, probably since the Second World War. In fact, death had become an absolute taboo. It's really a thing you don't talk, definitely don't talk about it at a table. You can get away with religion, sex and politics, but never death. 
death something we now couch in euphemism and suddenly death is back and with death comes a come all the other questions that come around it which are questions that Christianity is very well placed well I'd argue to answer but certainly to engage with questions as to what it means to be alive if you're talking about death immediately after that comes what does it mean to be alive and what does it mean to die and is there anything afterwards these are the big questions and it's been impossible not to have those questions floating around over the last two years there's a whole load about religion that's sort of ephemeral you know what we happen to do on a sunday what we although that's important you know what people wear what what what, what people say you should and shouldn't do in the bedroom or anywhere else and the, the real heart of it what does it mean to be alive what does it mean to die what happens then those those big questions they're back on the agenda you'll have to remind me what happened to churches during the lockdown periods I can't, in the UK. I can't remember. I'm sure some of them were shut so, down. So, lockdown one. Yeah. Churches were closed by law. In For the C of E, the archbishops also banned all clergy from going into those churches and filming, which caused a huge brouhaha, quite rightly. They reneged on... though not reneged, retreated on that, mercifully, about two-thirds of the way through the first lockdown. And then we were opened up in July of 2020, carried on through to the November lockdown where we were closed again, despite the fact I think there was only one recorded case, very few recorded cases actually of having occurred, uh, begun, I suppose, or been caught in a church. By the time that lockdown three occurred, it was up to churches individually to decide whether they would be open or not. Many chose to close, many chose not to. We chose not to. Others, with their parish councils and taking into account their local position, chose to. Um, but that was that, that was where we were for the third lockdown. I remember watching, and it wasn't just in the UK where these policies affected churches, I remember watching a video in a Canadian church where the police were trying to shut down a service and you know people who were attending that service were getting very angry. You know, Perhaps quite rightly, they wanted to attend their church was very important to them. Do you think that politicians, do they take into account Christianity and religion enough when they're making these huge decisions to do of lockdown and other policies which may impact people's, people's religion, people's spirituality? Some do, some don't. There's a huge question as to whether, I suppose it depends what your personal faith is and whether you know people who have faith as to whether you think that religion essentially is a leisure activity and in lockdown one you know we were released from lockdown after car showrooms and what about the nurseries and things i think the importance of places of worship and practice of religion was appreciated by the government here by the third lockdown I think they'd received a lot of correspondence about it by then and had heard a lot of people on the subject and had, of course, by that stage, seen a lot more of the data about where COVID was being picked up. You know, let's be perfectly honest. Most CV churches, you can have a pretty socially distanced experience in that on any given Sunday. We talked about the decline of Christianity in Britain since the 50s 
and perhaps even beyond. What do you think the impact of that decline has been on society? In a way, to borrow the famous phrase, it's too early to tell. As slowly but surely we start, we're seeing those foundations of our culture erode, be ignored or be forgotten, about what it means to be Christian, we're seeing changes start to happen. I would say I think the biggest change is the death of forgiveness. At heart, Christianity is a religion about forgiveness. We are forgiven, forgiving sinners. And knowing that we sin, and knowing that other people sin, and knowing that people are going to get it wrong, are going to screw up, it's hugely good for the soul. Because it means that not only are you going to be much more forgiving of other people when they've let themselves and let you down and, you know, all the rest, but also you know that that treatment's going to be meted out to you too. Now that doesn't exist at all. Or, or it's dying. You can see that in cal- cancel culture. You're not forgiven. It's over. You're dead. You, 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 know, you are dead to the world if you are cancelled. There's a real feeling that when people screw up, that's it. Um, they, 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 they've got one strike and they are out. That's, that's a very post-Christian way of viewing things. You know, I'd say it's much more profound than, say, anything to do with sex or anything to do with uh, church attendance. That's a deeper, deeper change in mindset. And it's a very negative one, I tend to think. Questions about death and life have also changed. I, the fact that we haven't really been able to have a conversation over the last 18 months nationally about what it means to be alive and what it means to die and when and how death might happen and whether it's reasonable, you know, say, you know, we never had a debate about care homes, about whether it was reasonable for a person who knows that they're at the end of their days to decide to risk getting COVID in order to see the people they loved. That debate wasn't able to be had because I don't think we had enough common references to be able to have it. And that had big, big, profound consequences. And we've seen them with the whole response to the pandemic. There are just two examples. It's a very pertinent example because the government are currently considering, or perhaps have even made the decision, as to whether people can go and visit their loved ones in care homes who may be on the way out. And it's a very distressing and, I think, I personally think, very cruel thing to do, to restrict someone who is dying from being able to see the people that they love. And it does seem very, very strange that in our society, as you say, we haven't had that discussion. Well, so often death is a mistake rather than death is something that's natural. And when death is a mistake, that means, especially when people think they're going to get sued or blamed, that means that they will do everything to stop you dying. But sometimes far worse than that is living without love. Living, you know, being being forced to be alive knowing that those who love you cannot see you and whom you may never see again. Because in the end, we live for love. We live for the people we, li- we love. We live for our friends and our families and everything else. And this circles right the way back to Christmas, you know, where we remember those people whom we love. And it's 
Yes, it, 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 it's difficult in this debate because we are seeing, we're, we're, we're seeing decisions being taken for people based on underlying philosophical premises that they may not share, particularly an older generation. The other interesting um, or perhaps depressing moment uh, of this year was when Sir David Amos, the Conservative MP, was brutally killed in his constituency and he was refused to be allowed to see um, a priest who wanted to perform a sort of ritual. He was denied last rites. That's right. So, again, is this an example of where Christianity is sort of disregarded in our society? Yes, it is, I would say. It's certainly an example of where, again, that clash of what's important comes in. So for the police, you can entirely understand why for the police the important thing is maintaining a secure, clean crime scene. So of course they're not going to let some priest come charging in in his you know, size 12s and start smearing oil all over the place. For the person who's actually being murdered, having the comforts of religion before he dies, knowing, you know, making his last confession, receiving his last sacrament, is of absolute 10 out of 10 importance. And the question as to whether we prioritise the keeping the crime scene clear, is that more important than the person who has been murdered, having the assurances that receiving the last rites would give? From my philosophical perspective, no. It should be about, you know, the priority should be the person who's just been killed. For the police, their priority, their philosophical priority was yes. You know, that, that, that's where they came to. Again, we can't, we, we're not really having this debate yet about what happens when there is a clash of priorities like this um, that, that cut to the absolute quick of what's essential in the true meaning of the sense to us. That was a, very, that, that, that was a great mistake. Understandable, but a mistake on the part of the police. Has Christianity adapted to modern life well and there are even some who argue that it's adapted too much, it's gone too far, it's become too liberal. People criticise the Archbishop of Canterbury and Pope Francis for making political statements that they see as being too progressive, for example. Do you think that it's adapted well to, to modern life? I suppose there are two, two very different questions there, in a way. The question as to how Pope Francis, Justin Welby, intervene politically in comments that they make, that's one thing. I don't always agree with them, but I personally think it's a very good thing they are engaging in the political world because you can't be a Christian and not be involved in the political world. It, it's axiomatic. The question as to whether we've, you know, adapted well, it's a difficult one to say, really. There's the interaction between the world and the church, between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom on earth, I suppose. That's never a completely easy interaction. It's always going to result in, in tension points as understandings of essential questions differ. And there's always a dialogue. There's a dialogue between what we understand and how we know the world to work with what we've received from our forebears and what we receive from the scriptures and what we receive from the traditions. And all of the, this is, this is a dialogue which means that the church goes backwards and forwards, I suppose, in its understandings of certain things. 
that are not essential, that are adiaphora, that the theological phrases, things that are not essential. And from time to time we'll get it wrong, and from time to time we'll get it right. Has the church entirely engaged with the 21st century, with the modern world? Has it done it well? Different ways, yes, and different ways, no. Too progressive, too traditional? I mean, pretty much ask any person and they'll tell you the church is in the wrong place for them. They're either, either too progressive or too traditional or whatever. But that's because it's made up of human beings trying to discern the workings of God and the workings of humanity. And in that, we're no more likely to get it bang on than anybody's ever been. Many people who I speak to on this podcast argue that with the decline of Christianity, with the decline of religion generally in Western countries like the UK, that void has been filled within people's souls, within people's hearts and brains and minds, with other ideologies, for example, wokeism. Many people believe that with the decline of religion there has been a rise in this ideology. Would you agree with that? What do you think is filling the void if Christianity isn't there? To an extent, yes. I mean, I think G.K. Chesterton said that when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. I think we're seeing an awful lot of that, and we're seeing quite a lot of that if, um, with the current questions over the vaccine and so on. You're seeing an awful lot of believing in anything. But we're also seeing that. I, th I think there is an interesting element with what, what, what's often called you know, wokeism. There are elements of religiosity there. There are understandings of the human condition that seem to be a twist on old Christian doctrines. You've got, for example, with quite a lot of woke thinkers, you've got a resurrection of the idea of original sin, but this time racialized. You're seeing a certain amount of you know, whiteness is intrinsic, and there's nothing you can do about whiteness. It's what you're born with. That seems to share a border with original sin, but, but, but to be without redemption, without baptism. You see a resurrection of um, the Old Testament Corporation Acts, where it was impossible to hold public office if you believed certain if you believed certain things, you had to swear an oath that you didn't believe in transubstantiation or the power of the uh, and the power of the Pope, political power of the Pope, and so on. We're kind of getting a new Testament Corporation Act where there's a there are certain things you may not hold to, you may not believe if you wish to hold public office, or if you don't wish to be driven out of public life. The only difference is, at least in those days, it was written down. It was clear, and it was clear. You knew what it was you weren't allowed to believe. You knew what you had to cross your fingers for if you were intended to cross your fingers. Now a new one seems to appear every day and you're caught on the wrong side of it. So there does seem there do seem to be elements of the old religion in the new. But at its heart, religion is about God. Now that God is the only thing that's interesting about religion. Everything else is really a footnote. And however much progressive political ideology might adopt certain characteristics, certain almost theologies of religion. At its heart is not a god. Some people might believe in god, who are you know, very progressive uh, from a left-wing perspective, but at the heart of this new ideology the purpose of it is not the worship of almighty god. So it isn't. It echoes religion, but it isn't one. My final question, and I want to leave viewers on 
a note of happiness for this Christmas. So can I ask for something you're looking forward to next year and something that brought you hope from this last year? What am I looking forward to next? Over the course of the next year, I am looking forward. I think I'm looking forward to normalcy returning. I'm looking forward to being able to go on holiday normally. I'm looking forward to being able to go to large parties and not worry afterwards. And I'm looking forward to a Christmas absolutely jam-packed with carol services where people are bursting through the doors without having to book and without worrying about having to book and without having to wear a face mask and sing Hark the Herald Angels sing through a face mask, which is actually quite difficult because when you breathe in, you end up, it all gets very tough. I'm looking forward to that and having the whole church lift the roof for when we're singing, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning next year. And over the last year? Was that right? What's, what's yes, been a what, thing of joy and excitement? Exactly. What's brought you hope? What's brought, what sort of, um, I suppose, warmed your heart that you've seen in the last year? I think in the last year, the thing that's really warmed my heart has been the way in which I've seen so many people rally around each other. That's been brilliant. Um, there's been something genuinely heartwarming about how many people, and in my church at St. Bartholomew the Great, the, um, the way in which people across generations really stepped in you whether it's just giving advice whether it's being there when people are locked down in london away from their parents or you know missing their children getting food for people getting you know running around when people are locked up inside that, that was heartwarming that was brilliant and seeing friendships develop that didn't exist before that was great thank you so much father walker and i wish everyone a very merry and happy christmas this year merry christmas Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in hearing more episodes like it, please follow this podcast and drop us a review. If you have any suggestions of people you would like to be interviewed, you can let us know via the Apple Podcasts app. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.